Uh, my name is Chris Neal. Uh, I do the associate ministries here at Grace. I also work closely with my lovely wife, Katie, in the Connect ministry. And so we're very pumped and humbled to get to be a part of all that. Today, I'm going to take us back to the Old Testament. Yes! How many of you have enjoyed crushing idols for the last few months? No, it's been like three weeks. How many of you enjoyed that? First service, nobody was having that. They were brutally honest. They have not enjoyed crushing their idols. It's rough, though, isn't it? It's rough crushing these idols. It's hard. But you got to identify these idols because, unfortunately, that's what separates us from God. And until we lay down our idols, we can't really move forward. And so today I'm going to talk about some of the Old Testament stuff that's been happening because I know that many of you are still faithfully reading and following along in your the Bible. You're still doing that. And you've been wondering over the last few weeks, what about the Old Testament? Well, it's back this morning. And today I'm going to talk about a king in the Old Testament who had trouble with idols. Imagine that. We'll talk about a king who had trouble giving all of his loyalty to God. I'm going to talk about a king who had trouble swallowing his pride Subsequently, this caused the king to lose his vision, spiritually and, unfortunately, physically. And this king, he had to learn that there's always a better way, that God's way is always better. That's what this king had to learn. But a little bit of backstory before we get into that king. And so for the first 500 years that Israel was a nation, they didn't even have a king. They didn't even need a king. They lived under this law that was handed down by God through Moses at Mount Sinai. And many of you remember reading about that through year of the Bible. And they just saw this law as coming from God. And so they just lived under the kingship of God. And just like we learned in Paul's letters, God is calling us to be devoted to him, to lay down our idols and be devoted to him. And God was calling the nation of Israel to be devoted to him, to be fully devoted to him. But the nation, you know, they started looking around at all the other nations. They started comparing themselves to all the other nations who had kings. And they're like, all the cool nations have a king. God, we want a king. And so they go to the prophet Samuel. And some of you may remember reading this in Year of the Bible. They go to the prophet Samuel like, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel's like, you have no idea what you are asking for when you say that you want a king. Because kings are going to act like kings. That's right. Some of you know already. Because kings, he's saying, it's like, you just have no idea what you're asking for because these kings, they're going to come in and they're going to start raising taxes. They're going to raise these taxes to build armies. They're going to come in and they're going to eventually start wars. And you just have no idea what you're saying when you say that you want a king. But the people, they just wouldn't take no for an answer. And unfortunately, this generation of Israelites will become known as the stiff-necked generation who refused to obey God. They refused to lay down their idols, and they refused to worship God. And they just kept saying, we want a king. And so God's like, fine, you want a king? I'll give you exactly what you asked for. And so God gives them the king. And the problem with all these kings is that all these kings started acting like Kings, that's right. And so as many of you have been reading in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you see horrible king after horrible king, then an okay king and a horrible king and horrible, just this cycle of horrible king. Because kings live like this. Kings, they live like, if I make the laws, then I can break the laws. 
King's like, I get to do what I want to do because I'm the, I'm the king. And now as the dad and the husband of my household, I make some of the laws in our houses, in our house, in one house, in our house. It's Katie. When Katie's gone, I make some laws. But I make some, one of the laws I made is you cannot come in the house and wear your dirty shoes around the house because nobody needs dirty shoes all over the house, right? Well, who do you think wears more shoes in the house than anyone else, makes dirty shoe tracks all over the house? Me, because I'm the king, baby. If I make the laws, I can break the laws. Who do you think, who do you think drinks more milk out of the milk jug? Me, because I'm the king. You know what else makes me do this? It's pride. Pride makes me do that. And here's another thing that happens to all of us when we slowly start to become king of our lives. And pride kind of takes over. We want to live this autonomous and unaccountable life. And so autonomous means that I am independent, that I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. That's what autonomous means. And unaccountable means that I don't have to answer to anyone about anything that I am currently doing do not question it, because I'm unaccountable to you. Pride always kind of sneaks in there and leads us into living this autonomous and unaccountable life if we're not really careful. And so to illustrate what I'm talking about today, I want to take you to the final king in the southern Jewish empire, King Zedekiah. But before we get to King Zedekiah, a little backstory. So King Nebuchadnezzar came in in 597 B.C., and King Nebuchadnezzar is this ruthless king, and he came in, and he conquered Judah, and he put King Jehoiachin in charge. But he basically said, you are supposed to send money to me. You are a vassal state. That means you do what I tell you to do. And in fact, when King Nebuchadnezzar traveled around, his theme song was, money, 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 money. And some of you thought Donald Trump did that, but no. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar leaves, and King Jehoiachin, after a few days, he's like, I'm the king. I'm the king. He says, I'm not sending money to Nebuchadnezzar anymore. And this was a horrible decision because Nebuchadnezzar was a collector. So maybe some of you, when you go on trips, you like to collect souvenirs and stuff. And maybe some of you like to get these cool T-shirts when you go places and collect things like that. Some of you maybe like to collect tickets. I used to have a pretty good collection of those speeding tickets. And, well, anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he liked to collect kings. Seriously, he loved to capture the kings of the kingdoms he conquered. And he would go in there. He would capture these kings. True story. He would poke their eyes out, put them in bronze shackles, send them back to Babylon to be part of his king collection. Seriously, that's how full of pride Nebuchadnezzar was. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he comes in, he conquers King Jehoiachin, puts Jehoiachin's eyes out, puts him in bronze shackles, sends him back to Babylon to be part of the king collection. And then he takes our man Zedekiah, and he makes him king. And Zedekiah's like, I'm the king, really? I don't know why they didn't learn. It's not good to be the king. But anyway, I'm the king. And Zedekiah, or Nebuchadnezzar's like, yes, you have three rules, though, to be the king. Here are the three rules. The first rule is this. He says, you don't raise an army. I do not want you to raise an army, Zedekiah. He said, second, you pay me taxes. Money, 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 right? Pay me taxes. Third, you do not repair the walls around this city. I want you helpless, hopeless, broken, and vulnerable. And shortly after Nebuchadnezzar leaves, Zedekiah is like, I'm the king. 
And so in 2 Chronicles, we read, here's what Zedekiah did. So Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. So that's part of the problem right there. 21, the whole frontal lobe issue where it's not fully developed. But anyway, <laughs> the text goes on to say that, Zedek that Zedekiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. Zedekiah says, I'm the king. I'm not accountable to anyone. I'm going to live an autonomous and unaccountable life. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't control me anymore. I'm the king. And so shortly after that, Zedekiah does this in 2 Chronicles 36, 13. It says he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He also became stiff-necked and hard -hardened, or hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that Zedekiah is not sending him money either. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious. He's just furious. So he just sends a small portion of his army to take care of this. Go up there, take out Zedekiah, bring him back. I can't believe he's acting like that. And so one morning, they wake up Zedekiah and they're like, Zedekiah, you've got to come to the wall and see this. And Nebuchadnezzar was starting an army to surround the city. And so Zedekiah, he runs to Jeremiah because Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was seen as this man who could talk to God. And Zedekiah's like, you've got to talk to God for us we got to do something here. What can we do about this? And this is where we pick up the story in Jeremiah 38, 17, and 18. And then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared, and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon... This city will be given, hand, given into the hands of the Babylonians, and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. Jeremiah basically said, you got to go outside those gates. you got to fall to your knees. You need to swallow your pride. You need to humble yourself before God, and you need to surrender. And Jeremiah said, if you do this, God's going to be gracious enough to spare your life. God's going to spare this city. God's going to spare the people in this city. God will spare your family's life. God will give you eyes to see what you need to see. You're losing your vision. And Zedekiah's like, I don't know about all this. I need a couple days. And then a few days go by, and guess what? Nebuchadnezzar's army leaves. And the people are celebrating, and they're dancing in the streets. And they call Jeremiah to the top of the wall, and Zedekiah goes, How do you like me now? And Zedekiah goes, God has delivered us. And Jeremiah's like, no, God has not delivered you. You're still in rebellion. This city is still in rebellion. Your family is still in rebellion. This city is still worshiping idols. You are still worshiping idols. You refuse to lay down your pride. You refuse to listen. God has actually given you one last chance to humble yourself and bring this city back to repentance. What they found out, as a side note, is that when Nebuchadnezzar marched against Zedekiah, the Egyptians actually started to attack the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar had to bring all of his army back to take out the Egyptians. So that's kind of what happened. And Jeremiah, he goes around, and he keeps telling anyone who will listen, and even those who didn't listen, that 
You know, Nebuchadnezzar's coming back. Nebuchadnezzar's coming back. And this starts to scare Zedekiah's army. This starts to scare the people of Israel so much that they're like, they got to do something with this guy, Jeremiah. He's scaring everybody in the whole city. He won't stop talking. So they take Jeremiah, true story, and they put him in a well in the center of town. Crazy. Yeah, but the well doesn't have water in it. But Jeremiah's like in mud up to his knees. And people are walking by. And Jeremiah's like, Nebuchadnezzar is coming back, back, back. Repent, repent, And so finally, because he won't shut up, they pull him out of the well and they put this guy in prison. And just like Jeremiah had warned, Nebuchadnezzar shows up. And this time, he doesn't just show up for a battle. He shows up to stay. The scripture says that he brought like several cities with him this time. That he was going to come in and he was going to change the culture of this entire region. He was so tired of them not listening. He brought in several cities. And then they started to build this wall all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And they took like wood and mud and stones and all these porta potties it took to get there. And these old track phones and bag phones and fidget spinners. They just took all this stuff and started building this huge wall until they had a wall that completely surrounded the entire city of Jerusalem. And here's how it's described in 2 Kings 25, 1 and 2. It says, So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, this is history, not fiction, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So for two years, the city is under siege while the people inside are starting to starve to death. It's getting crazy in there. And finally, Zedekiah calls for Jeremiah. He comes back to the top of the wall. He's like, Jeremiah, will you pray for us? And Jeremiah's like, no, I'm not going to pray for you. I've told you. You are in rebellion. This city is in rebellion. These people won't stop worshiping these idols. These people, they won't swallow their pride. You, you won't swallow your pride. You won't swallow your pride and listen. Why won't you listen? Should sound familiar to someone here today. And I just want to read to you how this story ends in 2 Kings 25, 3 through 7. So by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that the people that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate, or through, through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. So Zedekiah left. He left his city, he left most of his family, and he ran for his life. The text continues, Zedekiah was taken to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him, and they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put his eyes out. They put him in bronze shackles, and they sent him back to Babylon to be one more king in Nebuchadnezzar's king collection. And that's really kind of a gory and crazy story. It's like a Hollywood story or something, but it's also a picture of what happens to our lives when we try to be king of our own life. 
It's a picture of what happens to us when we refuse to swallow our pride, when we refuse to listen to God, and we say, God, I'm going to live this autonomous and unaccountable life. And unfortunately, I really understand this story personally. Because in 2001, I had a catastrophic accident. I fell about 30 feet off of a rooftop. I landed on my feet. I broke my back in three places. I broke my hip. I broke my pelvis. I broke my legs. I crushed my feet. Yeah, it was a bad day. Like, it was a really bad day. But basically, I got there because I chose to live an autonomous and unaccountable life. I lived my entire life doing what was right in my own eyes. I wouldn't listen. God brought people through my life, but I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't listen to God. I was so prideful and so hard-hearted. I just had to be the king of my own life that it cost me a leg. Now you're trying to figure out which leg it is. But it did. It cost me a leg. It almost cost me my life. And the bad thing about all this is my pride didn't just impact me. This affected my mom and my dad and my brother, what friends I had left. That prideful decision still impacts me today in the form of pain and regret. Pride always kind of seeps in there. It impacts us. Like Zedekiah, though, all I had to do was to swallow my pride. All I had to do was to quit being so stiff-necked. All I had to do was to stop worshiping the idol of self. All I had to do was to just close my eyes and say, God, just give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life. That's it. It's like we've been talking about for weeks. God wants us to lay down our life. God wants us to lay down our idols so he can be king of our life. Simply put, God wants to be king of our everything. That's what he wants. And it's not really so he can control us and put his thumb on us and and make us obey him. No, that's not what he wants. He does this because he loves us. And because he knows that until we live this life completely surrendered and focused on him, that it will never be well with our soul. But oftentimes, when we swallow our pride, we just feel like we're giving something up. I can remember, I just felt like I was giving something up. Zedekiah's like, I just can't give it up. I just can't swallow my pride. I just feel like I'm giving something up. And so the cool thing about all this is that God knew that my pride would get in the way of me drawing closer to him. And God knew that your pride would get in the way of you drawing closer to him. And God knew that we wouldn't be able to just white-knuckle our way through this life and, and obey him. God knew that. And then through Jeremiah, thousands of years before Jesus comes along, he prophesied about this new coming covenant. He prophesied about this new coming day. And in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 33, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and with the people of Judah, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And Jeremiah's prophecy, it came true. This new covenant, this new way to get to God came true. This new ability for us to be with God Because in the old covenant, they wrote these stones and they wrote these laws and and stuff on stones and people carried them around. But God says in the new covenant, I'm going to write this law of love across the people's hearts and across the people's minds. We are the ones who inherited this blessing 
through Jesus. And the truth is that when we, when we surrender to this blessing of Jesus, when we press into this new covenant that God has given us, that we gain life, that we gain the ability for us to say it is well with our soul. We gain hope. We gain freedom. We gain profit. We gain purpose. We gain the ability to be sons and daughters of the one true king. And so several hundred years after this event, a new king did come on the scene in Israel. And these people, they didn't even recognize this new king. Like, who is this guy? I don't even, who is this? They'd never seen a king act like this before. Because this new king, he didn't raise taxes. This new king, he didn't raise armies. This new king, he didn't try to live above the law. King Jesus lived as a servant to his father. King Jesus lived as a servant so all of us would have a chance to dine at the king's table today. King Jesus showed us humility. King Jesus showed us how to crush pride in our life. King Jesus showed us how to lay down these idols in our life. King Jesus showed all of us how to live under the kingship of God. And then, in fact, on one of the last nights of King Jesus' life, when he knew that the next day he was going to be crucified for the sins of the world, he sits down and has dinner with his disciples and all this chaos and all this craziness, he sits down and the disciples, they're at dinner with the king and they don't even recognize it. They can't see it. They're dining with the king. 